Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually and then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 188 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having a fantastic start to your day. So I am a little excited in sort of a nerdy podcasting way in that I actually got a new pop filter for my mic. And so, and so basically what a pop filter does, it, it filters some of the more unpleasant random clicks and things like that. And so I'm hoping the pop filter is working and that the sound is good and maybe even a little bit better than what you're used to. So today's podcast conversation is one that I'm really excited about, which is establishing a bilingual practice and and what goes into that. And my guest is Dr. Carmen Roman. Carmen is a psychologist out in San Jose, California. And Carmen has a pretty amazing story in that she has been a psychologist for, gosh, over 25 years. And she actually had an established group practice in Mexico and then came to the U.S., went to grad school and then opened a practice in California. So she went through this whole process of closing the practice. And today's podcast session is just a, an interesting look at some of the insights that she picked up with her first practice. So you'll hear more of this in the podcast conversation, but Carmen alludes to like how difficult it is to start a mental health private practice in Mexico, especially when she started it. And some of the insights that she learned from successful attorneys and successful dentists in the area and what they taught her about running a business and how she employed that as she has started a practice now in two different countries. We also talk about things like how does she market her practice, um, a bilingual practice, and what are some of the things that she most enjoys about being a bilingual clinician? We talk about this idea of niching, and it's interesting how Carmen has taken that idea of niching actually in terms of her practice. And I think it'll surprise you that she actually does not have an established niche in the traditional way that we would think about it. Show notes to today's episode if you want to follow along or over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 188. And Carmen's website is over at emotionsinharmony.org. Hey friends, it's Melvin. Before we get to today's podcast episode, just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Wellers for supporting today's podcast session. So the traditional model of renting office space is that you may rent for a day or half a day and you pay for it regardless of whether you use it, right? So for example, 
let's say a client cancels or a client no-shows or you get sick, you're still paying for that office space. Wellers employs a new model, which is a therapy office as a service. So you only pay for the time that you actually use it. So for example, you might, uh, and, and all of this is done actually through Wellers online scheduling portal. So if you are a therapist that's looking for office space, you would connect with other therapists that are on the Wellers network. Um, you would see the office space, see pictures of the office space, get descriptions or all of that kind of stuff, see in terms of availability, and then reach out to the person that rents the office space, get to know them as a person, right? And then uh, anytime that you need that office space, if you if both of you decide it's a mutually good fit, anytime you need that office space, you would simply use the Wellers portal to schedule. Now, if you're on the other side of it, where you are the you are a private practice owner that has office space that you're not that's not being utilized at all hours, then you can actually be part of the Wellers network, and it's completely free to list your office space. And Wellers only makes money if if you actually have someone that books the office space. You can learn more about Wellers and the awesome services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Wellers. And Wellers is is spelled W-E-L-L-E-R-Z. And if you go through that link, you can get one hour free credit to book anywhere. So we'll get right to today's session. Here's my session with Dr. Carmen Roman from emotionsinharmony.org. Hi, Carmen. Welcome to Selling the Couch. Very glad to be here, Melvin. Thank you. I'm so, one, I'm like, regret a little bit that I waited so long for us to connect, but I, I really am grateful for you, grateful for our friendship. And it's been amazing to see not just the way that you've been able to grow your business these past couple of years, but more than a business for you. What I've often thought about for you is it's a larger message, right? It's a larger mission. And it's been neat to see how you've been able to fulfill that mission. That's right. The last two years, I initiated a larger a larger vision. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you know, one of the things I remember when we had first ever connected, you had mentioned that you actually had a very successful and a very established private practice in Mexico. And then you moved to California, to, to San Jose, where you started a new practice, right? And we were just talking about this right before we started recording, which is how difficult it is, one, to to build a practice in Mexico, much less, you said it was like almost 20 years ago, right? Yeah, 25 years ago, I started in Mexico. Yeah. And how difficult that must have been. And I actually wanted to start there because, so what do you think led to the success of that practice in Mexico, even though it was 25 years ago where we didn't have things like blogging and social media and all of those things. But to start with, I didn't have your podcast because to start here, I had your podcast, but <laughs> then I didn't have any podcast or any uh, internet connection. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have any information from others. And there was not a culture of somebody teaching you in the psychology field, how to open a practice or what to do about clients, at least not for me. So now I realize, like, oh my God, how I came to have the full practice. It was a group practice from seven to 10 psychologists we were, and we were providing continuing education and workshops and therapy. I got the first years of my private practice life, it was just only me. Hmm. Yeah. 
and I was doing therapy and doing conference uh, speaking presentations around the country. So I learned actually from dentists and lawyers because what I learned is that they had for years longer than psychologists established practices. So I was not shy about going and asking them. Yeah. You actually, so you actually reached out to lawyers and dentists that you knew just in the area? Yes. Yes. I literally went, I say, how do you have clients? Where do you get your clients? How, why your clients keep coming? So all of these questions. I went to lawyers, my friend lawyers or whoever hired me to do presentations or something. How do you price? What do you say? Why they pay you so much? <laughs> yeah. And it was so beautiful because actually it made me fearless. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I believe in our field, we are afraid to charge, to put rules, to, you know, something. But it made me uh, helping, it helping me to create a business, literally. Yeah. What do you think was the biggest insight that you learned from those doctors and lawyers? I mean, uh, from dentists and, and the lawyers in terms of running a business? I think the first one I remember clearly still now, um, one of the dentists say, if you want people to come, you need to be there physically, energetically. And even if it takes two years, you just need to be there. So my first year in my private practice, I was sleeping there, taking a nap, you know, resting, grinding, everything in the office. And it became full and I don't need to do anything else anymore. Yeah. Um, but just being there, being present, and then customer service, delivering customer service, like talking to them, finding what they needed, thinking about, I am delivering a customer service. Yeah. So it helped me to to be mindful about how my, I asked one of my friends, lawyers, come here and please tell me what is wrong. And she say, no, he say, no, you are not going to like it. <laughs> yeah. And you are going to hate me. And I said, no, please, please. So he, he came to my office and he actually kind of destroyed my idea of office. Yeah. He criticized every positive aspect I thought. <laughs> and, and he helped me to, and, and I did the homework. He said, you don't have a good waiting room. You don't have nice environment. You don't have pictures about your titles. You don't like all of these things that another person will think that I will not think about it. Yeah, It was painful, but it was very useful. Yeah. You like took the words out of my mouth, which is I could see that experience being extremely painful and vulnerable, but especially if it's somebody's opinion that you really value that it was like, it was such a wealth of knowledge. I mean, how could you have even gathered that information? It's like years of data in just like one meeting. Yes, that's right. And also Melvin, I have been always very playful about psychology. Hmm. What do you mean? Playful means I have fun. I Ever since I remember, even as a student, I have fun as a psychologist. Hmm. I think I don't take myself too seriously. I wanted to do, I will put you an example. One of my friends and I, we say, we, we really don't know how to choose a partner. Yeah, we really are really bad about it. Hmm. We put together a workshop because we wanted to learn ourselves. And it was a 15 hours workshop on weekends. And that 15 hours workshop lasted for four years and gave us money to put a full group practice, to travel, to have our first car, like everything, because people was having fun while learning with us. Yeah. And we were honest. We were like, whoa, we really don't do well. So we want to learn together. And we were like helping people analyze their deepest desires about uh, selection of partnership and, and everything. And then we have a workshop about what is the cartoon character and what are favorite and what does 
say to, about you in your psychological aspects? So it was five hours of cartoon character anal analysis. And it was like, it was so much fun. <laughs> I, I love the I love the playful perspective because I I know I don't know if you've ever struggled with this, but I know that like a lot of our colleagues do struggle with this, which is you on one hand we have this creative side, right? The playful creative side. But then on the other side, there is this pressure to build a business, right? And to make it viable and make it successful. How do you sort of honor that other side, right? That is you got to build this business while making it enjoyable, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense, but... Yeah, I think I needed to persuade my parents to become a psychologist. They didn't want me to be a psychologist. So I guess I had nothing to lose. Hmm. Yeah, so that, that was helpful for me. But also, I don't know, I was just not afraid. Oh, maybe because my private practice was already full, that I was not afraid to lose money. It was always because I wanted something else. So I wanted just to spend more time doing my work, which I loved. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't realize also that I have the talent until later. I didn't realize this is actually a talent and this is a very special work. I didn't realize it can be born out, which I did. I burned out myself for working too hard. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, you know, I, I think a lot of us, we see that like it, it comes the ability to, to empathize and, and the, our clinical skills in some ways, I think, naturally come to many of us, right? They've probably been honed through training and grad school. And, but you're right. Like, I think many of us take it for granted for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to sort of just take a step back. So it seems like if you were to sort of take this step back, big picture, what led to the the success of the practice of Mexico? So it was one, getting honest feedback from other professionals who were having success, right? And mm -hmm. then two, it seems like it was those relationships plus kind of the, the, the workshops that you were doing. Yeah. Hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. You, and I wanted to shift a little bit. So you had this established practice. I mean, and for anyone that's listening, I mean, you, the struggle of building a business, right? Much less, I cannot imagine the thought of like shutting it down right? What was the hardest thing for you about closing that previous practice as you decided to move to California? I actually burned out and mm. I was pretty young. I was 32 years old and I was the stress of having, I needed to come up with salaries for people, all this communication between psychologists and all of this. I didn't have training of how to run a business. Mm. So I was learning as I, as this thing was growing. Yeah. So I burned out and I ended up for three months with a back pain that it was pretty painful. So I decided to escalate down. So I moved to another, I actually moved to a smaller private practice, but then out of these 10 people, seven came with me. So it was not that much of, <laughs> of escalating down. Yeah. There was something about you that they, you know, they were attracted to. They they were attracted. So so we started a little bit of practice again. Hmm. But I was my health was not doing really good. And I realized that I didn't have any medical insurance or benefits because private practices it was not like that. So I needed to kind of reimagine or reinvent my life. And then I I myself didn't have a family and I was 32 and I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to have a family if I keep working that hard. So a year or two later, I got married with an American person. So I needed to leave the country to get married. 
it didn't work the marriage, but actually it was a very beautiful opening for me to come and do the PhD here. I wanted to do a PhD. Mm. So I was like, okay, I want to have the PhD in this country or Argentina. So it, it helped me to open my, my imagination about what I could do. Mm. Yeah. And I've gotten to know you these couple of years, but I'm always like, even as you talk, I'm always amazed at your amount of resilience you have, you know? It's like you just said, it's so matter of factory. In fact, you know, I got married, the marriage didn't work out, but there was some drive in me to just keep going, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was like, well, it was difficult to realize that all that I have been doing for the last 15 years, which was therapy and workshops, I couldn't do it in the new country. So I came here and it was like, oh my God, that does, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter even that I have a master's degree. So in Mexico, by the way, we are licensed with the master and with the bachelor. Yeah. We have a full license after the master, which is pretty hard to get. It's harder than the master here. So it's similar to the PhD here. Doesn't, didn't matter. I needed to start, when I moved into this country, I needed to start from scratch. I start thinking, should I be a dancer or should be a painter or I don't know, whatever. Yeah. And I realized I want to be psychologist. Very hard. It was like, it's my life. I want to be psychologist again. Hmm. So I went and signed for the master and PhD again. Mm-hmm. My gosh. <laughs> so so you moved and then you went through the program or so, yeah, I'm, I'm just sort of asking this, like you were in grad school while trying to start the practice or did you wait to like finish up school before you started the practice in the U.S.? I couldn't start the practice because I didn't have the license. Right, right. And actually, this is something if you if somebody's listening in another country, something very important to know that I came and I somebody asked me as a favor if I could do a session. And I shared that with one of my professors in the school. Oh, my God, it was such a big deal. They almost kicked me out of the school because I was risking the school and my future license. So, no, I didn't do therapy other than the hours that I needed to do, which was some days were harder and I just cry all day. Yeah. Because of the language, I didn't learn, I didn't know English. And also because they, I was sitting learning something that I was teaching before in my country. Or I was for seven years already supervisor in my country. Hmm. So I was listening to some classes that I didn't need to listen. And some others were new. But I became assistant teacher for most of my classes. Yeah, or other classes because I was just getting bored. Yeah, hmm. And it was painful to see that I I needed to do many other jobs like uh, sitting houses or sitting babies or dogs or teaching Spanish or anything while having my, my license from Mexico. It was very humbling. Yeah. This reminds me a lot of like, I think I, I've briefly shared this, but like my, my father was a, an attorney in India. And when we immigrated here to the U.S., very similar thing. His law degree didn't transfer over. So, you know, his first job was working at Walmart in the back in the shipping department, you know? And I often think about that, like what you just said, like the humility that must require, you know, to do something like that and to still want to keep going. Yes, it was painful. And sometimes it was relaxing because it's like, okay, I can leave. And I don't think about anybody's private practice, about anybody's salary. Yeah, (laughs) just me and my student loan. It was like, sometimes it was just beautiful, relaxing. Right. And sometimes it was like, oh no, I want that stress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so after you finished the PhD, how long was it after that? 
did you decide to go back into practice? Melvin, I have my client the very first day that my license was approved. What? The very first day. It was like I rented my place. I was so ready. <laughs> <laughs> I rented my place and I was sitting there just creating the website and all of this. And then one of my clients say, one of my clients from the clinic, because the clinic had eight months of waiting list. So I have this client and I say, listen, I want to sit with you and I don't have the license, yeah, mm. but I can sit with you and work with you and how you can find services around. And for some reason in my intuition, I knew my license will come that week. Mm. It was my intuition. It was pure intuition because people say it take months, yeah, but mm. I know, no, 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 mine will come earlier, yeah. So I told him, and if you, if my license comes, this is a session and you pay me. And if it doesn't come, and that's it. You can find services and I will be here when I have my license. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he was excited. So we have the session. And then when, as soon as he left and I opened my email, my email was say, you have your license since three, four hours ago. And he was like, yes. <laughs> so I called my client and I said, you owe me the session. And he was really happy. Well, like, he was my first client. <laughs> what a story. <laughs> yes. I couldn't waste any time with my new license. <laughs> So you started, you started small, right? Mm -hmm. In that yes. office and then slowly started building out. Um, so you were providing both English speaking and Spanish speaking services or what? Yes, I do both. Yeah. And it still is small. It still is only me. I am trying to hire somebody, but it's difficult mm. to for find a fully Spanish speaker. Yeah. But it's still, it's just me and my, my clients during the week. Yeah. It's just that. Mm -hmm. Well, and sometimes, you know, like to your point, you know, I think things work out when they need to and how they need to, you know, yes. and I think especially with hiring, I think it's good to wait and find the right person versus making an impulse hire and then have to deal with the, the headaches yes. of, you know. I already know what does mean to hire somebody and to hire the grown person. So yeah. I rather wait than something that worked for all of us. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you think are the three most wonderful things about providing like being a bilingual therapist and providing bilingual services to clients? The very beautiful thing is that when a client is bilingual themselves, they don't need to choose. Their memory is coming one language or another, and they can just talk it out. Yeah, mm -hmm. Just say it. And in one session, we go back and forth. They they say, my mom say that in Spanish, and then I answer that in English. And like So that's very beautiful because they don't need to choose. And that yeah. calls for a spontaneity. I think they appreciate a lot that part. There's not that need to filter. No, right? no mm -hmm. filter, no translation, no anything. Yeah. And then I get their jokes in their language. Yeah. <laughs> so the other beautiful thing is I found more often that you may think that couples, sometimes they don't speak fully the language of the other person. Like huh. an American married to a Spanish speaking, Spanish speaking, or vice versa. Or I don't know. They, they have the both languages, but they sort of communicate. So, or families, like the parents speak only Spanish and the English and the children speak only English. Um, and there's some clear miscommunication in the, in the family. So when they come to therapy, there is no way to hide. Everything is there. So it's a beautiful thing to offer to the family. It's like, I hear you. I understand what you say. Yeah. <laughs> because sometimes teenagers is like, I didn't say it that way. Yes, you did. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I imagine it gives you such a unique lens into conversations, right? Especially when it is something like that, when there is this disconnect between maybe one generation speaks one language, the other generation speaks another language. Oh, sometimes they just assume that kids don't understand Spanish or don't speak Spanish and or vice versa, that the parents don't speak English. So I have families where they say, no, so-and-so doesn't speak Spanish. We only talk to her in English or to him. <laughs> and then I say, okay, well, we keep going in Spanish. And whenever you feel time interrupt, just please say something. And eventually they speak Spanish because they understand, yeah. Yeah. So it is. it has been really common ground for families. And, and the other beautiful thing, uh, Melvin, is I don't need to specialize in any topic in psychology. My specialization is the language. Hmm. I don't need to choose. Well, of course, there are certain aspects on psychology that I don't take just because it's my personality. Hmm. But I don't need to specialize in domestic violence or trauma or couples therapy or family therapy because I can do whatever I want. <laughs> That's interesting. So when clients are clients are reaching out, a lot of times they're reaching out because of the language, the bilingual aspect of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then yeah. how are they finding you typically? Like, is it, is it through existing? Like, yeah. Psychology today has been really wonderful to me. It has been amazing to me. And I also establish a lot of connections through the local network. I, I, am, I am good about saying hello and how are you and please remember me and all of these things. And, you know, they find me through word of mouth from other clients because I spend time, even if somebody looks for therapy, seek therapy, even though they will not be my clients because I have a little bit of waiting list, I still talk to them and see what they are doing. Even if I don't take children or teenagers, so I talk to them, I t give them referrals, and sometimes I tell them, just call me back and see if you found the referral, if you found the services you need. And sometimes they call me back and we talk again and I refer them again. But these people will send me new clients. Hmm. Uh, it goes back to that statement you made earlier about the importance of customer service, right? It's not just about seeing the person as a potential client, but more about how can I serve them well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, my, my policy is, is so damn hard to take the phone and it requires a lot of courage to take the phone and say to somebody, I want therapy, hmm. especially in the Latino communities. I, that is uh, something that I want to treasure. So I take that and say, yes, there is therapy for you. It may not be, but there is hope for you out there. So this is why I told to them. That's a beautiful thing to be able to like hold that space, you know, and I'm sure like even the folks that don't end up being your clients, like so appreciate that because you're acknowledging the, the courage that it took them to make that call. And you're actually responding in a timely manner, you know, which I yeah. know that just sort of I've heard, you know, this is something that like potential clients really sometimes can struggle with is like, oh man, the therapist, like I, I reached out and they never call me back or, you know. I think we are sometimes afraid to call back and say, no, I don't have a space because I feel that fear. No. I have told to them and sometimes I have very low income families that they cannot qualify for any program and they save their money. They, they say, wait for me. I will save my money and go with you because they feel the connection. So, and then I provide uh, the, the most like less number of sessions that I can and more intense and whatever is for them not to spend that much money. Mm -hmm. But I still want to honor 
that they want to do that. Yeah. Mm. So for me, it's about that. It's about companion in the way of growing as a person. Yeah. And you just said the word because that was the word that popped up in my mind. You seek to honor your clients by holding space for them, right? They're not just, you see them as people and you see the courage and all of those things and beyond just, you know, this is someone that could provide me some income. That thing came actually from my neighbor dentist. Yeah. He was, he was really like people will wait and wait months for him to be seen by him. Hmm. And, and he said, you know, Carmen, it's such an honor to, to be in somebody's mouth, working in their mouth, that I want to honor everybody. And he say I have surprises where uh, the, the person who comes and looks like extremely rich and they will want to spend everything or the people who look extremely poor and they want to spend like, I don't, it's not my call yeah, to do anything like that, to inform my prices in different way. So it was very beautiful from him to learn. Yeah. What a beautiful way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Carmen, just shifting a little bit. So how do you market to both English speakers and to Spanish speakers? Or are you primarily, or are you noticing that your primary clients are really like bilingual? I don't market to English speakers. I, well, my websites, everything is in English and Spanish, everything. Mm. Yeah. I guess I market in that way. And the psychology today is in English, but I don't intend really, I don't put that much energy into it. When I Spanish, when an English speaker calls, I want to make sure that they want to work with me because it's me. Because I, I find, I notice that my services are so needed for the Spanish speaking population that I don't want to waste it. So when I, when somebody calls and it's only English speaker, I told to them and I say, you have plenty of opportunities. Why do you want to work with me? And unless they persuade me, I take them. Hmm. Yeah. Because otherwise I don't want to take them. So I have beautiful, wonderful experiences working with English speakers, but it's because they want to stay with me. Hmm. Yeah. That's neat. That's neat. You don't. So it sounds like, I guess, and I use this word loosely, marketing. So even like little subtle things, right? So you know the the population and, and the folks that you love to work with. So even subtle things like having the ability on your website to have it both in English and Spanish, you're, you're communicating something, right? Yes. Without mm-hmm. commu- Like without communicating it, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. I start everything in Spanish and my colleagues start asking me for in the English part because they wanted to know what say there. Mm. So this is how I became a bilingual uh, websites. And also, even though in Spanish, I have the luxury of choosing my clients. If they want to work, they stay working with me. If they don't, they can go somewhere else. So, and it's not in mean ways, just in a meaningful way. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. This is this is why I'm very precise about who I work with. So this is like a little bit of a tangent. So that perspective you just said right there, did that evolve over time or was that something that just has come naturally to you? So this ability to say, I can't serve everyone and that's okay. Actually, it evolved in Mexico and I was good at it. And then when I start here, I guess I was afraid again. I think it comes with fear. <laughs> I was afraid again that I will not have clients or not be not successful or whatever. So the first year, I noticed myself again, wanted to take everybody. And because I knew already, it came slowly, my inner knowledge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the first year I struggled because I took most of the people, I, didn't, I knew I didn't want children, but I took most of the adults that came and I had pretty harsh, heavy experiences knowing that it was, we were not a match. 
Yeah. So I, I actually reflect, what is it that I did in Mexico? And then I realized, okay, I was able to choose and have fun with my clients. So I dedicate, I put so much serious work into my therapy with my clients that I only want to take the ones who honor that work. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's a way of honoring both your clients, but also honoring your own knowledge and expertise and the amount of time and time that you've put into to working on this craft. And there are clients, Melvin, that they have full price, mm. which is not cheap. And there are clients who pay zero because the county pays for them. And it still is the same principle. Even if they pay zero, they need to work. They need to be on time. They need to show that they want to work, etc. because otherwise I will not work with them either. And that helps them to feel honor as well. It's neat. I can't believe how fast our time has gone. So yes. the, the last question I actually wanted to ask you was kind of this two-part question is you started a podcast that's done really well. One is what made you start a podcast? And then the second part of that is what's something unexpected that's come from podcasting? I already know what does mean to live a practice and not have a legacy. I already know that. It's like kind of I retire from one career and then start another one. Yeah. So nothing. I didn't write any book. I didn't write any, a couple, couple blog entries or articles, but not book. Nothing really other than radio presentations and TV. Nothing really that people can have. Yeah. So I wanted to do something that people can keep and listen whenever they want and yeah, in their time. And also it was eight months waiting list when I was in my internship. So I knew that if somebody talks to them about trauma or gives them any hope, they will have it until they get the service. And it's helping me now. When I say no to clients, I say no, but here it is, this audio or this video about anxiety or trauma go and work with another psychologist, these, these aspects. So even I say, no, I have material for them. It's a way of both honoring the client while providing them something tangible. Yes. And what is unexpected about the trunk podcasting for me, I didn't expect really that, is I actually got into a world of group of people, group of psychologists who are positive and hardworking. And they are enthusiasts mm. and they are willing to make a change in the world because podcasting takes a lot of work besides having a practice. Yeah. yeah. So I, I found these colleagues that they are always positive and enthusiastic and, and willing to change. And it's so beautiful because it's like, wow, that came together with podcasting. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, it is a, it's a beautiful, beautiful journey. I'm honored to be part of part of that that community with you yes i have lunch and dinners and phone conversations and travel because we travel to the podcast conference yeah and i make friends in very different ways it's just i am i am excited <laughs> yeah. are you coming to orlando this year no i am not going this year no okay mm -hmm. just to give you guys a heads up so last year's podcast movement was here in philadelphia that was mm -hmm. also the day that our daughter decided to come into the world. And so I actually missed the conference and I didn't get to connect with Carmen, but I'll be there in Orlando this year. I will miss <laughs> you, Carmen. Yeah, this year I'm not going because it's different time of the year. Yeah. But next year, I, I'm looking forward for it. I really love the, the podcasting conference. Yeah. yeah. No, it was a, a lot of fun. It's neat to getting to connect. Carmen, I'm so grateful for you. I'm just grateful for, for your heart, your willingness to share. 
I think the one thing I've sort of just taken away from this conversation is don't be so serious about and add all this pressure to build a business that you just forget to have fun, you know? And I'm grateful for that spirit. What are some of the best ways that we can touch base with you? And uh, I know that you had mentioned that you have a little work, like a little two-page sheet on doing immigration evals. So I was wondering if you could also tell us a little bit about that as well. Yes. The best way to reach me is in the emotionsinharmony.org, which is the podcast. And hopefully some of your listeners want to become my guests because I am always looking for guests. And the two, piece, two pieces of paper that I have, the two pages, are the way I communicate the fees and how I explain the fees for immigration evaluation to my clients. Hmm. I try to explain as much as possible in these two pages, English and Spanish, because I know bilingual, as a bilingual people, we struggle with that very often. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is it, uh, how I explain my fees. So I want to put it out there for whoever needs it. Awesome. And the link to that you guys can find over, which is at emotionsinharmony.org forward slash couch. Yes. And you can download that there and we'll put that on the show notes page as well. Uh, which you guys can find over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 188. Carmen, thank you again for doing this and so grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you, Melvin, for having me. Have a great rest of your day. Hey there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Carmen and especially uh, no matter where you are in your private practice journey and especially if you are bilingual therapist and you really are struggling with your identity and trying to figure out how to navigate this world of private practice. I hope that today's session has been just a wonderful source of encouragement for you. Carmen mentioned a number of resources and you can find that over at the show notes page over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 188. And Carmen also mentioned that she had the immigration eval, just sort of the the way that she talks about immigration evals with clients and fees and things like that. And again, you can find that over at emotionsinharmony.org forward slash couch, C-O-U-C-H. I alluded to this at the end of the interview, but I think the biggest lesson that I'm taking away from today's podcast session is just the importance of, of fun and creativity in, in building a practice. I know for me, when it comes to business, I don't always have fun and just completely being honest, that I, I sometimes let the stress of everything kind of overwhelm me. And I don't often appreciate uh, just that I, I get to build a business, right? That we all get to build something that that and truly make it our own. Before we wrap up, just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Turning Point HQ for supporting today's podcast session. So Turning Point HQ is the result or is the brainchild of David Frank, who is a financial planner for therapists. And as I've mentioned before, uh, Dave and I actually have gotten to be good friends, just an awesome person to work with. And one of the things that Dave will help us to do is create a holistic and an intentional retirement and an investing plan that supports you to lead a really awesome life. Because ultimately, I think for many of us, it's we invest, right, to create the life that we want, and uh, it's to do it in an intentional way. And Dave, honestly, is just one of the most like heart-centered folks that I've ever met, and you're absolutely going to be in good hands with him. You can learn more about Turning Point HQ and the awesome services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash turning point HQ. And if you go through that link, uh, Dave actually created this seven 
financial mistakes that therapists make. It's a free downloadable, and uh, you can download it right there. And then you also get $200 off any of your any of the services that Dave provides. Be sure to mention that you heard it on STC. Have a great rest of your week, and I'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business, just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.